1: I'd get out of the bed and get down by the bed and and cry and pray. I knew God was with me. I knew he was going to work it all out. But it was the worst thing that I ever faced in my life. Because what happens is you get, part of you gets pulled away. And it takes time for that to heal.
2: Hey everybody, this is Richard Clark, I'm the host of The Calling, and I am here today with our special Southern correspondent, Kate Shelnut. Kate, welcome to the show. Hey Richard. Where are you located right now at this moment? You're speaking to me from where?
3: From Augusta, Georgia.
2: Okay, so we have had you sort of going around interviewing a bunch of people in that area, and uh, I don't think anyone's heard any of your interviews yet. We had some queued up, they got delayed. We have this one first, and it's an interview with Charles Stanley, uh, which I think some some of our listeners may know his name.
3: Right, this is a big one for me to debut with, because um, Charles Stanley is... A historic name in Atlanta, and then also nationwide and worldwide. Um, he's the head of First Baptist Church of Atlanta, and also of In Touch Ministries, which is a global uh, ministry sharing his messages as well as like Bible tracks all over the world. Um, so it was exciting to get to go to Atlanta to the In Touch headquarters and sit down with him at age almost 84. He's got a birthday wow. coming up in October and to hear him just chit-chat and go on and on telling me stories from his long career in the ministry.
2: Yeah, he's been in the ministry so long one of the things you talk about actually is like he's he's been had the opportunity to like preach through all of these mediums. So he's done like you know, obviously the standard sort of church preaching, but coupled with that, he's done TV and radio and the internet versions, various versions of preaching on the internet, including podcasts, which he has an extremely popular podcast right now that people are probably familiar with. And so that's, it's really interesting to like hear the perspective of a person who's used all these mediums. There's actually an article In the latest CT about how shifting mediums have sort of affected and changed the way that we receive messages and how church is done. It's called Analog Church, I believe. But subscribers of CT can read that article and sort of get some context there. Uh, If you're not a subscriber to CT, you can become one for a very special low price of $10. Just go to orderct.com slash thecalling. That's orderct.com slash calling. And you'll get a $10 offer on a year-long subscription of CT. And you'll be supporting this podcast.
3: And even though... Dr. Stanley had preached through all of those different mediums and has been, you know, committed to the gospel for decades. Um the reason that we're interviewing him now is because he's starting to share a bit more from his personal life in his new book Courageous Faith, which came out yesterday and debuted as the number 1 new release in religious leader biographies. But in Courageous Faith, he goes into two kind of of the more personally tense and also controversial and just difficult days in his life with his family and the intersection between family and ministry, one of which was when his son, who's also a very well-known pastor, decided in the mid-90s to leave First Baptist Church of Atlanta in order to start North Point. He talks a bit about some of that tension and, and how they were able to restore their relationship after kind of having some negativity around his decision to leave and take leaders as well as church members um, from his congregation. And then the other difficult thing was his divorce in 2000 from his wife, Anna, and At the time, it was one of the most prominent pastor divorce issues.
2: Yeah, I was really excited when we got this opportunity to have him on the show because I felt like we don't often get to hear from these big these sort of like very popular, more experienced pastors who, you know, they're not as open about their lives necessarily, but they have a lot to say and they have interesting stories. And just listening to this interview earlier, I had just had a sense of like, he has incredible faith. And that's something yes. that made me, that that really edified me. It made me feel like I want to be more like, you know, Dr. Stanley in that way. So that was a great, a great interview. One thing that I wanted to say for those who are listening to this podcast, because Dr. Stanley is on it, is to subscribe. Check out what we have coming. I know we're going to have an interview with Max Licato coming up. We've got propaganda coming up. But if you want to go ahead and get started and branch out, we've got some stuff in the archives you could check out. If you want to go back in your podcast app and see what's uh, been done already. We've got an interview with Dr. Russell Moore. Just look for Russell Moore's Kingdom Calling. He talks about being known as the mouthpiece of the Southern Baptist Convention and how he grew up in the South and what that was like. Um, and I also recently in- interviewed H.B. Uh, Charles Jr., who talks about being a pastor when he was a teenager and then like charles stanley sort of experienced some church conflict and had to wrestle through that so that's there's sort of some similarities there i think people will enjoy this interview a lot you did a great job here it is kate shelnut interviewing charles stanley
3: So I'm here at In Touch Ministries with Dr. Charles Stanley. As someone who's got decades of, of ministry experience behind them, I feel like this is an easier question when I ask someone who's younger in the ministry, but to say, what is your calling after all these years you've done books and preaching and leading in touch and had global influence and been a denominational leader and a church leader? So kind of what are the words that you use to describe what God has called you to over the course of your life?
1: Well, my primary calling is to preach the gospel. In other words, if you, if I look at all the things I've done, what drives me most is every Sunday to be able to explain one more passage of Scripture, send that one more message of encouragement to people, see people saved, see people's lives changed. That's what drives me.
3: In your book, you talk about how, in some sense, you always felt that calling since you became a Christian. But was there a moment where it became clear to you that being a preacher was going to be the thing that you would commit your life to?
1: Well, I don't know that there was a moment. I just know that uh, the first time I ever voiced it was to my friend. And when I asked him what he was going to do when he grew up, that's what we said at 14 years of age. He said, I don't know. What are you going to do? And I said, I don't know either. Come to find out that years later, both of us knew that we'd been called to preaching. And after I got saved at 12 At some point, very quickly thereafter, I never thought of doing anything else. I've never even considered anything else.
3: But I doubt that you had kind of this type of ministry in mind when you were envisioning yourself as a kid becoming a preacher.
1: I was uh, 14 years of age then. There's no such thing as television. I mean, you can name it. They were the covered wagon days compared to today. Absolutely no possible idea that I would see what I've seen.
3: And I wonder, as you've seen technology change, there's a line in the book about how um, you were excited to be on color television in Atlanta, and now to think of how broadly broadcast you get to be because of the Internet. What has it been like to see God use all of these different mediums for that core calling that you have of of preaching the gospel?
1: Well, to me, it's just another avenue and maybe a better avenue to get the same message out but different ways and more effectively.
3: Have there been challenges, I guess, to technology as well?
1: I'm sure I would say at first, I was a little nervous to think I'm sitting here. Our first experience was sitting in a chair uh, with an open Bible, no notes, live for 30 minutes. That was a little challenging, but by the grace of God, I knew it was right, and it was the thing to do, and I never looked back.
3: I was surprised to learn, given how much I associate your ministry with the Atlanta area, how many other places and other churches you served before you landed at First Baptist Church of Atlanta.
1: Well, I was pastor of the Fruitland Baptist Church in North Carolina, which is next to Asheville, and I taught in a Bible Institute up at the same time, and then I moved from there to Ohio fairborn ohio and from fairborn to miami i thought i die and go in heaven when i moved to miami because i moved to miami when miami was absolutely an awesome beautiful city and then from there to bartow florida well i wait a minute let me i missed the point i moved from uh, from fruitland to fairborn fairborn to miami miami to bartow bartow to atlanta and all those years were fast it's like god got me to atlanta Pretty quickly,
3: and it sounds like each of those moves, especially the one to Atlanta, were ones that were prayerfully considered. It wasn't like you had it made up your mind yet. It was almost like God had had kind of pinpointed you back and forth before getting here. Well,
1: everywhere I was, I was happy and I loved being there and was very blessed by being there. And the one place I did not want to come to is Atlanta, Georgia, and I told the Lord. No, Lord, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm, no, I don't think so. And of course, I knew it was the thing to do. I just didn't want to come for the reasons mentioned in the book. And of course, I've been blessed beyond all measure.
3: What was Atlanta like then? What was Atlanta like at the time that you moved there?
1: About 400 and some thousand people. And it's sort of like a big country town, not anything like it is today.
3: Did you get a sense that, okay this is a different kind of move, that this is going to be the place that God kind of has me for the long haul?
1: Well, the church was much, much, much larger, and uh, it was a key church in the Southern Baptist Convention, and none of that really impressed me. I just saw it as an opportunity to reach more people. When I came here, we were on television in black and white uh, one time a week, and um, I just watched God change all of that rather rapidly.
3: What have you come to love about this area?
1: Well, it's close to the mountains, for for one thing. (laughs) You know, I've always lived in the South. I only lived in the North a couple of years or so there. But I made Atlanta my home quickly.
3: I wanted to ask, of course, about that time when you came to First Baptist Church of Atlanta. And it was in the midst of what people today would probably just call church drama between the elders, the deacons, the church leadership, trying to kind of coordinate things. How did you, at that time, knowing that they didn't want you there, keep from being cynical or keep from just kind of giving in and throwing in the towel and leave? I knew
1: the Lord called me here. And so I knew I was where God wanted me to be for whatever his reason was. And I think the thing that I would say throughout my life, I learned from my grandfather that prayer is the most important thing in the ministry. And so, you know, I I just just prayed my way through all kind of battles and situations and circumstances. And if you know that you're where God wants you to be and you're listening to Him, you can stand anything.
3: But it's possible, I think, to trust God and be leaning on Him but still just be frustrated with the church to to see the great disconnect between, oh, I know that this is what God wants me to do How come nobody else here is on board?
1: Well, it wasn't nobody else here. It was just a handful of deacons, for example, and their families and friends and so forth. But I knew God wanted me to be here. And to me, that's all I needed. And I listened to all of their criticisms and all their attempts to get rid of me. And just like God said, trust me.
3: Throughout your life, you talk about these times that God um, has spoken to you and made His will clear for you. Tell me about what are some of your day-to-day practices. What does it look like for you to be in the Word or to be praying, and how does that come through and come about?
1: Well, I've learned a long time ago that the most important time I spend in it, anywhere, whatever's going on, is to get on my knees and talk to God, and for me personally, It's on my knees.
3: You still get on your knees?
1: Absolutely. Because I think that reverence is God. It acknowledges that He's the Lord of my life. I'm listening to what He has to say, and I'm going to do what He tells me. And so I would say if there's one thing in my life that's brought me through all kind of troubles and heartaches and trials, which you've read about, it's that. And so I start the day on my knees with the Lord. I end it that way. And oftentimes I'll be studying and thinking, It's time for me to ask the Lord about something here. So to me, that's the key. It's the key to everything. Because what you're doing, you're acknowledging God at that moment. You need his help, his insight, his understanding, or his courage, or his faith, whatever it might be. You know, I would say to anybody, the greatest lesson you can learn is to learn to live by faith on your face before God. You can face anything, no matter what it is. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but if I'm so busy, I'm not listening to him, I'm not waiting for him, I'm not expecting him to do something, then I think people face a lot of circumstances and go through a lot of heartache and trouble that would be unnecessary if they would just stop and listen, okay, Lord what do you want me to do at this point?
3: Do you still find yourself getting too busy and having to course correct? Or do you feel like as your ministry has progressed that you've gotten in a different kind of rhythm than maybe in your earlier years? I think I felt
1: so inadequate in the very beginning that I knew that prayer was the key. Now, some days I'll be very, very busy and I'll get up in the morning and I'll have to move pretty fast, but I'll just Drop down and say, Lord, I just need the Holy Spirit to give me divine direction. Show me what to say, whatever the situation may be. And I will trust you for it in Jesus' name. So that's my short, brief prayer. If, if it's something that suddenly I've got to get up and get moving about something. So what that does is you program your mind to be sensitive to His voice. And it, you don't have to pray a long prayer. There are times it's long prayers or medium size, whatever you call them. But You want to program your thinking that whatever you're facing, whatever you hear, whatever you see, whatever you do, it's not that you have to say, well, where's God? He's always there.
3: Was there ever a time, um, like you said, you've gone through a lot of different struggles and dark periods where you had even a thought of, well, what if God doesn't come through this time?
1: Never. I can look you in the eye and tell you never because... That's who he is. And, you know, at 12 years of age, I got saved. 14, I knew he called me to preach. And from that point on, I started developing a relationship with the Lord, not even knowing how to describe what a relationship is. I just knew and have known and have watched over all these years. I've never wondered about that.
3: And one... struggle that you went through that was especially public was your separation and divorce, that this was something that made headlines, I know, in Christianity Today magazine and local papers. I don't know, my heart breaks for any pastor who has to deal with this behind closed doors, a, a marital issue, strife, and the fact that it was both something happening in your family life, but also being lived out so publicly, it seems really hard. Can you tell me I guess, what it was like to have to navigate both the public and private nature of that period.
1: Well, my wife um, didn't come to church for a number of years, and she couldn't tell you why. And her father, for example, was married four times. And so I'm sure there was something deep down inside that she couldn't identify and nobody else could. I never blamed her. I never said anything negative about her in public. And so when she decided to leave me i decided okay god i've done what you told me to do i've been obedient to you now i'm going to trust you and i remember when i got the call from her attorney that she was suing me for divorce and uh, he asked me where to send the papers and i told him and then when i hung up i remember exactly what i felt i remember saying god you've been with me through every circumstance you're going to see me through this one and i knew he would and so you know i had to read her letter To the congregation on a Sunday, and then leave the next one to go to the Alaskan cruise, not knowing what was going to happen while I was gone. You know, I just knew that I was where God wanted me to be, doing what He wanted me to do, and only He could move me. The voice would not move me, it moved 99% of the pastors. I just had this overwhelming sense of confidence. You've been with me through difficulties before. You'll be with me through this. And so one of the ways the Lord encouraged me during that time in many ways was somebody said to me, Pastor, you've been here for us when we needed you. Now you need us and we're going to be here for you.
3: Did going through this experience change your own opinions on divorce? Do you think if a decade before you saw another pastor in your situation that maybe you would have been on the critical side?
1: Well, I'm sure that earlier on in my life, I thought that was pretty bad for whatever, because all the times I'd ever heard of it, somebody had gone out with somebody else and had an affair and so forth. But I knew my heart, and I knew that my wife couldn't tell you why she did it. She didn't accuse me of anything. She just said she didn't want to be married anymore. And that's the way she lived, because the next 20 years or so, she lived alone. She didn't do anything. She just didn't want to be married. So... When I went through all of that, the way that affected me is, number one, how many more pastors out there who have been divorced who had the same kind of situation? I would have done anything to have stopped it, but you can't. And I'm sure there are many other pastors who have been through the same experience, and then of those pastors out there who have gotten themselves in trouble. And so I feel sympathy and heartbreak for any pastor whose wife just—in fact, my first church— The pastor told me years later, he said, my wife called a deacons meeting and and told them that I was a great father and a great husband, but she didn't want to be married to me anymore, and she was divorcing me. And so, of course, the church was smaller. So the church said, of course, they were very upset, but they said, well, what did Dr. Sanders' church do when his wife left him? They said, that's what we're going to do. We stick in with with your pastor, no matter what. And I've had a number of letters, not many but from pastors who had been through the same thing and the church didn't file them because of something the wife did. Life
0: is unpredictable. I think all of us learn that. Sometimes we learn it in good ways. Sometimes we learn it in really hard ways. You're valuable to Christianity today and we want you to be prepared and protected. And one of the ways that that can happen is by having a will and getting a will together for your family and to care for your loved ones. If you've already set up your will and other important estate planning documents, that's great. But if you haven't, Christianity Today has partnered with Epic Will to easily and affordably walk you through the whole process of creating a legally binding and state-specific will in as little as 10 minutes. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to take this vital step. And you can get started today by visiting morect.com slash will. That's more with just one O. CT.com slash will. And for a limited time, you can get 10% off. That's morect.com slash will.
3: Yeah, I'm curious for your advice. I was at a church where we were doing a, a pastor's search, and it came up that the leading candidate had had a divorce in his past, and it was a split thing. It was half of the people said, well, we need to move on to someone else, and the other half said, well, we should explore and find out the nature of it, that this isn't an automatic disqualification. Do you have advice for churches that are going through that kind of thing now?
1: Well, I think it depends on the church, the attitude of the people primarily, because there's some churches they wouldn't make any difference whether he's married or not. I mean, there's some in that category. But I think if it becomes an issue, then that church has got to pray and say, okay, what does God want us to do? What would the Heavenly Father have us to do? This is your servant, God. What do you want? And I think they have to pray their way through that. But for a pastor to just up and leave because his wife divorces him, no, I wouldn't say do that.
3: In your book, you talked about how crucial your wife was in your early years of marriage about praying with you about the call to the pastor in different churches. How did your prayer life or spiritual life change once you were separated?
1: It got stronger because I was all alone. And so, you know, I just said, okay, God, it was very, very, I I cried many a nights. I'd get out of the bed and get down by the bed and and cry and pray. I knew God was with me. I knew he was going to work it all out. But it was the worst thing that I ever faced in my life. And I think most people who love their wives would tell you there's nothing. Because what happens is you get part of you gets pulled away and it takes time for that to heal.
3: And I know that God obviously has the power to draw you closer to him during something like that. But we're also created to be in relationship with one another. Who are some people who are your confidence you go to with prayer with struggle or even just for fellowship
1: i'm blessed enough to have fantastic friends and people i can share my heart with philip is my ceo and philip lives three doors from me i sort of helped arrange that i talk to him all the time i don't i don't have any secrets from him i tell him what i'm thinking about in life and what's going on so and i have i have some other friends probably about four other friends that are just like, as I say to him, I'd take him as my son if I could. And I've got about three guys that I love that much.
3: I imagine you praying a lot, reading the Bible a lot, preparing for sermons. Do you do stuff for fun? Do you have hobbies that are outside of your work and life as a Christian?
1: (laughs) My hobby is photography. That's a wonderful, wonderful outlet for me. And uh, my friends are usually with me, some of them. I've been on all seven continents and lots of places in the world. I couldn't be more blessed. And when I go, I don't think about church or in touch. I just go and concentrate on what I'm doing. And and I think that's one of the reasons that I've stayed fresh in my own life in ministry is because when I'm here, I'm consumed with what I'm doing. When I'm away, I leave it. So I don't drag it behind me and think, what about this? What about that? I just trust God to take care of it, and so I think every pastor needs—he needs a hobby that consumes him at the moment that um, is not only profitable for him, but the wonderful thing about photography. I show my photos at church. It gives me a chance to fellowship with my friends, and we've been—you know—we've been to Europe, we've been to Africa, we've been to South—we've we, been about everywhere.
3: Where was the last place that you took a trip to?
1: Out west. The American West is probably my most favorite place for all I've ever been, but to Yosemite National Park. I want to go there one more time. I took the best photos I've ever taken, probably, and I keep improving. Equipment keeps improving, and I keep improving, and so I'll show one of those on Sunday.
3: I also wanted to ask you, of course, about your son, Andy Stanley, who's the pastor of of North Point Community Church. Tell me about your relationship with him now.
1: Well, we have a great relationship now. When he walked away and took a lot of folks with him, that was a bad time. It was a hard time between us. And it took us a number of years to deal with that because it hurt me deeply. You know, I'd raised him up, sent him to college, sent him to seminary, and uh, he was one of my associates at church. But um, we got through that, and one of the things helped us get through, I had him preach for me. Was it my 75th birthday? 8th birthday, and he preached that Sunday, and he took full responsibility, said he was wrong, and so forth. But he didn't have to do that for me to forgive him. I forgave him. But it it created something between us that it took me a while to get through. It's not that I so much held it against him. I, I just couldn't understand how you can do that. And I knew that deep in his heart, he had to know that the way he did it was unwise. I think that's what hurt me, that I would have if he just said, "I want to do this, I want to do that," but it's the way it happened, and the fellows, he got around him, and and they really split the church. That's what it put book. It took him. We start healing when he start when he first said, "You're right, I split the church." For years, he wouldn't admit that. Well, how can you have any reconciliation when the issue will not be answered? And when he recognized that, it started healing for us. And it was like he just took a group, and they decided they were going to do this, and they were willing to split the church and then ask us for to give them the new place where we are now. And I thought, we're not giving you that, because I, I sent him out there to start that area so we could all move out there. It took us... It took us years to get through all that.
3: What led to your reconciliation, and what was it like to walk through those steps?
1: Uh, we would have lunch about once a month together. And a lot of, when we first started, we didn't have much to say, but we met. And we kept on meeting, and we kept on talking, and we kept on meeting, and kept on talking, kept on praying. And for a long time, we didn't get anywhere, but we weren't. I didn't say, well, here's what I want to accomplish in this meeting. I just want to be sure we stayed together because if he had moved off to some other city, I don't know what would have happened. But the fact that he stayed in Atlanta and, um, you know, it it didn't, it didn't hurt our church when he took a bunch of folks with him. In six months, we had that many people back. And some of the folks who left were my friends and as, as well as his. And so, It was a very difficult thing to go through, but it all turned out right, and the Lord's blessing him. uh, But painful? Yes.
3: It sounds like keeping the door open and keeping FaceTime, even if you guys weren't on the same page, was a crucial part of that. At this point, how do you see North Point relating to um, First Baptist Church?
1: Well, he has his ministry up there, and he has a younger set of people. I've got the folks that... So more my age, a lot of them, but not all of them. Uh, our ministry all over the world and been there a long, long time. And all these years, I've never asked for a penny. God's always provided. And, um, you know, he, he has his ministry. I have mine, which is, I think they the Lord's ministries. So I just say, you know, that's where God's called him. This is where God called me many years ago. I keep doing what I'm doing and He keeps doing what he's doing.
3: Do you ever visit North Point?
1: Yes, I have visited a number of times. Not many times because I'm busy. Yeah. But he's invited me to this and to that and so forth. And yes.
3: What encourages you the most as you see new generations of church leaders rise up um, in the church overall and then also here in your own ministry?
1: I think when I see these churches popping up in old store buildings and starting out with three or four people... I think it's a fantastic thing because who knows what's going to happen in this country. And when I see these churches just, just springing up everywhere, it's encouraging to me. Because I also see some older churches that are just emptying. People stop going in, and they don't change their program. The the gospel's not being preached. They die, and the building's there. And then I see all these young guys, and they're enthusiastic. They're evangelistic. They want to see change. And uh, the only difference I would think in times uh, that I've had to deal with is the music. The music's a lot different in our church than it is in a lot of those churches. But you know what? That's who they are. That's where they come from. I don't expect them to do the same thing. So I'm very encouraged by what I see happening.
3: What do you see at this point as your greatest legacy? Is there a a book that people, of all the books that you've written, that people bring up to you the most? Or a point of teaching that you feel like has come up more? How to listen to God. How to listen to God.
1: That was one of my very first books. Always sells out no matter what happens. But I hope this last one will be a bestseller, not because it's mine, but because of the message. I I want it to be an encouragement to pastors and other people.
3: In what ways has um, leading In Touch, leading First Baptist Atlanta these decades, changed who you are?
1: Well, I certainly hope it has improved who I am. It's challenged. In other words, I've grown in areas I didn't think I would need to grow in. And... um, I have had a wonderful experience of being able to be heading in touch and at the same time heading the First Baptist Church, and we've been doing that a long time, and both of them are still growing and progressing, and so I'm just happy.
3: Do you have a favorite part about the local church, something in the life of the church that's always had a special place for you?
1: Sunday morning and preaching the gospel. That's that's the most. In other words, if somebody says, well, tell me about your life. I say I live from Sunday to Sunday because I'm always looking for the next Sunday, because I know during that week, God's going to lay the message on my heart. And sometimes he lays it on more than one. But I know he's going to lay it on my heart. And I can't wait to tell you, because I know that if you listen and apply, it, it's going to change your life.
3: So it's Tuesday now. Where are you? in between that sunday to sunday life okay. coming off of a weekend
1: thank you very much for asking me that because when i get home on monday i take a little nap and then i go to the study i think okay lord sundays are coming and i want to be ready and sometimes it may be end of the week before i know exactly what i'm going to do but i've learned that if i start the week off on sunday talking to the lord and saying okay god you know what people need you know where i am i don't want to end up late I'm I've been preaching a series on courage. And the next one, I've been asking the Lord to speak to my heart about it. And I'm in the shower, showering. And the first four points of the sermon just flick into my mind. I was thinking about the message, and I just, one, two, three, four. Now, I got two more after I got out of the shower. But the thing that's so exciting to me is, I know God's going to tell me. I don't know when the earlier I like it because I've got more to work on it. You know, that's the most thrilling thing in my life. And the wonderful thing about God, God isn't limited by anything. I could be walking down the street or driving a car or sitting in my study or just praying. And sometimes I'm praying and I have to get up and write it down quick so I won't forget it. My relationship to him, I'll just put it this way, it is so intimate and wonderful and reaffirming and exciting. I wouldn't swap places with anybody in the world. Because God isn't just somebody up yonder. He is my intimate, loving friend upon whom I am dependent for every single thing.
3: Is there any aspect of your job or your calling that you've resisted or that feels like a burden? Are there things in your life that are like, well, I know this is part of being a preacher and I have to do it, but it's not my favorite?
1: naturally, administrative work is not my favorite because I know that somebody else can do that. And that's where my my, my heart's not there. Now, I've had to do a lot of it, but I always had to do it and find somebody else to help me do it because there are people who are better administrators than I am that are more detailed about things. But when it comes to scripture, I'm detailed. But when it comes to putting this over here and that over here and then she's over here and that's over there, something totally different.
3: Do you do any email? Do you have a smartphone or anything? Oh, or do you yeah, do, other people I do, do that? all that? Okay. Right.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm up with these guys on all that.
3: I was happy to see how many Christian teachers throughout history came up in your book that you mentioned, Deal Moody and and Hudson Taylor. Are there books that you go to other than Scripture again and again? Well, for
1: many, many years, uh, Oswald Chambers was my friend. I just always had that there. And then I like to read biographies. I've read all those old biographies of Hudson, Hudson Taylor and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and all those guys. Early in the ministry, I started reading those, trying to find out what made them click. What? How did they? How did God use them? And so, and I think God doesn't change. He uses all of us in different ways. But I read. I read the Scripture more than I read anything else. Now, if I'm looking up something and I want to see what so and so said, I'll I'll check the Greek out about something and find out what somebody else has said about it. But it's something I've read go to all the time. I don't have one of those.
3: What would would it be that um, at this point in your life that you would want to tell your younger self?
1: Well, I'd say to my younger self, you make prayer a priority and make obedience a way of life and trust God in every circumstance and leave all the consequences to Him. When the Lord just brought back to me my conversation with my grandfather, that sort of set me for the ministry. Without a doubt, my grandfather had the greatest influence on my life. He had the most lasting influence. And what encouraged me about that was that at his age, and he must have been, to me, he was like Moses when I met with him. And we just talked. The only thing he knew about me though, was that I was his grandson. I was 18 years of age. And the Lord had called me to preach. And beyond that, that's about all he knew because my father died when I, his son when I was nine months of age, I lived in a different city in Danville, Virginia, and he lived in Southern City, North Carolina. So I only saw him about three or four times in my life. And there were brief meetings, but he absolutely impacted my life. And if somebody says, well, what's, what's the wisest thing you ever heard in your life that you put above everything else, everything you've ever learned? Obey God, and leave all the consequences to him. He didn't say that, but what he said was, if God tells you to run your head through a big brick wall, you you head for the wall, and when you get there, God will make a hole for it. Which said to me, if I obey God, i leave all the consequences to him because he can handle it. And I've lived long enough to see that he can handle any consequence, no matter who it is, what it is, what the circumstance, most important thing I ever heard in my life, and it has absolutely guided my life all these years.
3: Have you ever had a fear about how you've gone about living out your calling, that you weren't doing something in a fully obedient way or following the way that Not God really. did? Not
1: really. I've, I've tried to do the best I knew how with God's leading. And if somebody said, what would you change in your life? Well, I wouldn't have. If it's something I could change, I wouldn't have lost my wife. I wouldn't. I would change that. But I've studied hard. I've had privilege to go everywhere in the world I wanted to go. And I've been blessed in every possible way and have never asked for anything. You know, I, I couldn't be more blessed. In fact, somebody asked me this week, Well, what do you want for your birthday? And because they want to give me something really nice, I said, Well, let me think about it. And all the things that I value I already have. I don't I don't have any wants really, except I just want to, I just want to be used to the maximum of my potential through the last day of my life.
3: I was going to ask you that next. Do you see yourself retiring ever? Never. There's been a a debate about whether pastors should retire. Do you think that's something specific to you, or do you think the call of the pastor is one that goes lifelong?
1: When you can't do what you ought to do, it's time to retire. But to me, I'm doing maybe better than I have ever been. I don't know about that part. Somebody else had to judge that. But I'm not ready to retire, and I wouldn't, and I can't even see myself retiring because I have a message and I can't wait to tell it to the whole world. And so, why would I want to go fishing and go hunting? In other words, I wouldn't even quit preaching and go photographing as much as I like it. I wouldn't do anything else. I couldn't do anything else. I think God called me to do this. He's equipped me to do it. He's given me a joy about doing it and provided all my needs and so I could do it. And I've got great staff that I don't have to put up with a lot of stuff, that things that, and if I were a pastor of some churches and it was just me and maybe I had one staff member to help me, that'd be tough.
3: What is the, the prayer that you have for your ministry going forward, the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years?
1: Every single Sunday would count, would make a difference in people's lives. Every single sermon, no matter what the situation is, would transform people's lives in some fashion. And I'm not asking anything for myself. I just want to see what God can do if you're faithful and true and obedient and submissive to him.
3: You've been listening to The Calling, our interview with Charles Stanley, whose new book, Courageous Fate, is available on Amazon and in bookstores. Um, you can follow Dr. Stanley's ministry at In Touch Men on Twitter. The Calling is a show hosted by Richard Clark. It's produced by Cray Allred. And the theme music comes to us by Lee Rosevier under a Creative Commons 4.0 license. Remember to rate and review, that really helps us out. And we'll see you again next week.